today I want to uh, invite us to lay down our religious backpacks and to, uh, and to take inventory of what's inside. Because the journey with Jesus is the most important journey you'll ever go on. And imagine going on this grand uh, backpacking trip. I know that uh, Phil Chase, he's done some backpacking. Some of you have. He told me once that uh, he's tried it with the right equipment and without, and it makes all the difference in the world. Well, imagine you're getting ready for a trip, and you, you lay out your, your backpack, and you say, oh, this is excellent. I have, you know, five decks of cards. I have, I have one of those bug zappers. I have a Frisbee, and this is wonderful. Um, but let's see. I look closer. I forgot shoes um, and underwear and food. Uh, but I have all these other things uh, stuffed in the backpack. So we want to do that kind of spiritually over these next few weeks of what, what are we carrying around? Uh, do, we, do we have extra things? But maybe more importantly, do we have the essentials? The basic question is, what are the essential habits necessary for a follower of Jesus to flourish in relationship with God, in relationship with other Christians, and in relationship uh, with the world. And uh, Monir, I think I just lost connection, so uh, I'll let you take it from here. You, you, can just, you can just guess with me. We'll guess along. So the basic question, what are the essential habits necessary for a follower of Jesus to flourish in relationship with God, in relationship with other Christians, and in relationship with the world? So in each of these three arenas over the next weeks, we're going to look at three habits in each of those that are the, the core essential habits that, so we could flourish in our relationships. And the first of those habits to flourish as a follower of Jesus is simply regular integration of God's word in our lives. And so the central truth is simply we need the Bible to thrive. This sounds basic. <laughs> this sounds like Sunday school answer the thing that we, uh, we hear uh, throughout our years of, of being in church. And the problem with an answer so simple or a topic so simple is when we tend to sometimes overlook the simple things. You're on tech support, you've waited all that time, and they, they first ask, um, well, is it plugged in? You're like, okay, never mind, hang up. Um, overlooking the simple thing. Uh, the other thing about a simple thing is that Maybe we know the Bible is important, but maybe we've been just doing it wrong. <laughs> we maybe don't know what to do with the Bible. So we're going to talk about those things today. I feel like at the beginning of this series, I need to give this disclaimer or apologetic or a rationale for, um, for, for a topical series. Because uh, my favorite method of preaching the Bible and teaching the Bible is to go methodically through a book. It, it's quite frankly uh, easier because uh, one thing, I, I know what, next week is, it's the next uh, part of the Bible. And, uh, and it helps to get the flow and the theme of the book. But topical is no less exegetical, meaning the message comes out of the text. It's no less expository, which means I'm still explaining the text and its implications on life. And it's certainly no less biblical. If you look through the examples of sermons in the Bible, uh, far more are topical than they are um, going through methodically through a book of the Bible. So is everyone okay with me uh, skipping around in the Bible over the next few weeks? Some of you are. 
The rest of you will endure. So this morning we're going to actually look at three different passages. I could have picked from from a thousand probably, but we're going to look at, at three. Three ways that the Bible helps us thrive in our relationship with God. And we're going to start with John 5. As we see that the Bible invites us into abundant life. Here, here's what's happening uh, in John 5. Jesus had, had healed this guy who'd um, been an invalid for, for years. Um, he was by the pool where, you know, they anticipated there'd be healing there. He never could quite make that happen. Jesus on the Sabbath uh, healed this guy. He was ecstatic to be healed of his condition after all these years. The religious leaders were ticked off. So two real different responses. And the main reason is they thought the Bible was a rule book. They studied it meticulously, and then to make sure they didn't break the rules, they added bylaws to the rules to kind of pad it to make sure we're all good and we're not going to mess up somehow and break one of the rules. And so Jesus angered them by breaking the bylaws that they made up. And he also angered them uh, by throwing out this little comment of, uh, God is my father. So he made this comment of being, you know, one and having unique relationship with God the Father. And verse 18 uh, says this, John 5, verse 18. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Okay, they weren't just angry. They were, you know, angry enough to want to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, one of their bylaws, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself to be equal with God. So they didn't miss the significance of his comment. He was clearly... Uh, making himself out to be one with the Father. So Jesus makes this important pronouncement of his union with the Father in verse 19, and he prefaced these things like, everybody listen right now by saying, you know, amen, amen, I say to you, verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say to you. And then verse 24, he makes another of these verily, verily comments, or truly, truly. Verse 24 says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me, has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death and into life. So, the entrance into eternal life, a relationship with God, forever abundant life, the entrance into that is, is one, if you receive the message of Jesus contained in this book, and you believe in God who sent him. The the ticket, so to speak, the, the entrance, the invitations, maybe a better word, into eternal life is in the Bible. And that is the first reason it's so precious to us. The Bible's not simply a, a history book. It's not simply a rule book. It's not simply inspirational or full of moral lessons, although it contains many of these elements. But the Bible is an invitation into an abundant, never-ending, life-giving relationship with your Creator, and that makes it truly precious. The problem. Um, often we treat the Bible a lot more like an end-user license agreement. I have a picture of one of these here. Uh, if you've, if you've uh, you know, installed any software, you usually have to click that button there. 
we have a vague sense that uh, this is important. I know something about this is important. I skim a little bit, and it's mostly obscure. It's mostly confusing. Um, it's highly, highly technical. Uh, it's boring. And so I either uh, you know, roughly skim it or ignore it altogether and just click that button to, to get my, uh, my software loaded. Has anyone else had that experience? Or I don't know if maybe the attorneys in the room maybe read every every piece of that. Um, they can read it for me and tell me if it's a good idea to click or not. But the Bible is not like that. Sometimes that's how we treat it. Like we know this book is, is important somehow, but uh, it's confusing, it's technical, it's obscure, and uh, it's so I'll just kind of skip and move on. But the Bible is much more like a marriage proposal. It says something like this. Dear Beloved one, I have always loved you. I want to be with you forever. I want to take care of you for all time. I want to be known by you, and will you be mine? This is what the Bible is. And if we're looking at an end-user license agreement, we're, we're doing it wrong. <laughs> but it's an invitation into a lifelong relationship with our Savior. Uh, earlier, or this past week, uh, Heather and I got a chance to go to um, the conference from our Association of Churches in California. This year it was in beautiful Fresno, California. And uh, actually, it was outside Fresno. It actually was, it was lovely. Um, but uh, we met uh, a couple there. Um, the husband was leading worship, and, uh, and his wife was from, uh, from Ireland. Uh, she grew up an Irish Catholic, you know, going, going to Mass and and hearing the words about Christ, but it, it never really, really clicked. And, uh, and she came to the States, and she actually went and watched The Passion of the Christ with uh, some friends of hers. And while she was watching it, it came alive. <laughs> it became very personal. She said her friends, you know, they, went, they got all this popcorn and everything and came in to watch this, but, you know, they didn't eat the popcorn. It's, if you've seen the movie, it's extremely intense and heavy. Uh, and her friends were crying, but her friends were crying because it was sad that this happened, or it was a sad uh, story. But uh, she was in tears because she realized, that's my Savior. <laughs> and, and the lights came on for her. It became personal. If the Bible's been unintelligible or uninteresting or obscure, it's time to make it personal. <laughs> this book is God's message to me, and it's an invitation into eternal life. So, again, our main idea is we need the Bible to thrive. And there's this just correlation, this true link between the amount of Bible and the amount of thriving. But let me tell you that more Bible study does not equal more thriving spiritually. It's not the same thing. But rather, Bible personalization, Bible... um, Integration, Bible application, is what transforms us and causes us to thrive. Um, Again, in this passage in John 5, further on, verse 39 to 40, in the same conversation, Jesus says, Well, you search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, uh, which which is true that eternal life is found in the Scriptures. And it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me, that you may have life. 
Jesus was addressing a bunch of Bible study junkies. They loved to study the Bible. They'd take it apart. They would memorize it. They'd quote it. They'd, they'd you know, divide it up. They'd argue about it. But they failed to see that the Bible was an invitation into a relationship with Jesus. He's like, you think the eternal life is there, and yet you miss the whole point is to introduce you to me. No amount of Bible study will make you thrive spiritually unless you begin by receiving Jesus. <laughs> by looking at his book, seeing what's there, and saying, what I really need is a relationship with Jesus. And that opens the whole world of Scripture to you. So first, the Bible invites us into abundant life. It's this invitation to be with Jesus. But it's not just the entrance. It's also the ongoing, nourishing, grounding, establishing effect of God's Word in our life. The Bible establishes us in abundant life. We'll look at Psalm 1 together, just the first few verses. So lots of things happen in life that toss us to and fro. And this passage shows us that the answer to staying grounded and thriving, even so, is found in God's Word. So here it is, uh, Psalm 1, verses 1 to 3. Blessed. Now, we like to use the word blessed in church because it sounds cool, it sounds spiritual, and it sounds, uh, you know, more holy than saying happy, but it actually means happy. Um, it might mean more than that, but it means at least that. It's this, um, you know, the blessed life, the good life, the, the satisfied life, abundant life. Okay. Yeah, no, I just got to the first word, but it says, Blessed is the man or woman who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. And here's what happens. He is like a tree planted by the streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither, and in everything he does, he prospers. So what's the secret to the blessed life, the, the good life, the satisfied life, the meaningful life, the significant life? It's, it's God's word. <laughs> it's delighting in God's word. Uh, the culture doesn't have the answer. The answer is not out there. It says, you know, he, he doesn't walk, sit, stand, listen to the scoffers, but instead delights in the law of the Lord. To love God's word, to cherish it. Oh, this is just treasure here. This is God speaking to me. I love it. I love the Bible. And then not only delighting in it, but in his law, he meditates, what? He meditates day and night. All the time. To, to meditate, what, what does that mean? It means you, you mull it over in your mind. Consider the implications. You take it with you throughout the day. You don't just, you know, read your verse and take off and, and forget it. But you, you think it through and you, you think, wow, this is, uh, God's word says this and my life says this. They don't quite line up, so how can I be more like this or Think about these promises and the implications of them. It's just to, to chew on it and consider God's word throughout the day. And that's how we get it into our bodies, so to speak, into our, our souls. And the result of all this, the result of delighting and meditating 
thinking about God's word all the time, is you'll be like a tree planted by streams of water. You'll be established, secure in the abundant life. And not just established, but thriving, yields its fruit in its season, and its leaves are green, all the signs of of life and growth. No matter the dry season, the rainy season, you'll still say, it is well with my soul, no matter what. So here's some pictures of trees, maybe right before this. Uh, I I got to go to Israel, which I know you all know because I tell stories about it all the time. Um, We were down in the wilderness of Zin, totally barren, totally desert, dry, but there's little pockets where there's life. And uh, here's a grove of trees that are along um, a seasonal stream. So sometimes it's just dirt there, but but there's underground waters going, and the roots of these trees go down deep. So this is kind of the whole um, illustration of what the, what the psalmist is speaking of. So you go there, there's no water whatsoever on the ground, but the trees are green, they're strong, they're thriving. Um, we sat in some of these trees, and uh, it, was a, it was a good time. And uh, life is not always, uh, we don't always get the rain. <laughs> we don't always get the sunshine as we like. Sometimes life is just really hard and it's dry spells and the difference in ha- what happens to you how you experience that is how much your roots have gone down and consistently and habitually drank from god's word it makes all the world in difference uh several weeks ago um my wife was out of town and i decided to ride my bike up to uh, uh ragged point and back um you know, I talk about bike riding a lot. I really love it, but I'm not like a, you know, a cyclist cyclist who just, you know, rides for days or whatever. But so that's a big ride for me. And uh, I was riding by myself, so I rode as hard as I possibly could. And uh, I got up there okay. I got most of the way back. As I was coming near San Simeon, I just fizzled. Just, I, I couldn't go anymore. I went in that little market that's just on the north end of town. You know, what do you have? Food. And uh, I got, you know, power bar or whatever. And just ate it. It's like nothing, no, no difference. I just couldn't, I couldn't get, get home. And so I called Shelby, you know, help. And, uh, and she came and she picked me up. It's just a few miles, you know, I'm close, but I just, I just fizzled. Well, uh, I, I hadn't really been, well, I didn't really think this had much anyway, but I hadn't been preparing, like fueling my body for that kind of ride, you know, in the, in the 24 hours leading up to that. I just hadn't, you know, eat, eaten the right things, uh, and uh, mid-ride, when I start crashing, um, it's, it's no use now. I could eat whatever, and it's not going to, you know, fix the problem. I'm just, I'm just fizzled out. I'm done. And that's, that's how it works in life. You know, crisis hits, and like, well, we should turn to God's Word, and we should turn to the Lord in prayer right away, but, uh, but it's going to make a world of difference if that's been your habit in life. And that's not, you know, the first time you've, you know, made contact is uh, when crisis hits. And so there, here's this whole, you know, tree-rooted uh, illustration is about that. I've watched two uh, different families or two different people uh, lose a spouse. It, that's, that's the, that ranks the highest on, um, on uh, tragedy that a person, you know, would typically face is loss of a spouse. Two different families lose a spouse, similar circumstances, uh, both grieve, obviously. One uh, just never really recovers. One just really flounders. And the other, at the end of the day, 
says, it's, it's well with my soul, and goes on with the Lord. See, two different people, their, their marriages fall apart. Two different people face financial ruin. Two different people, their kids walk away from the Lord. Two different people face cancer. And, and one clings to the Lord because of the habits in their life in the time, the years leading up to that. And the other, the other crumbles. The other withers. This is what establishes us in the hard times is a habit, a lifetime habit of feeding on God's word. A few years ago, we had a, just a really difficult time in, in my family, kind of this gut-wrenching crisis, but, but it wasn't a crisis of faith. I could feel God carrying me by, um, by the time I had spent um, feeding on his word over the years, my, the nurtured relationship I had with him. However, imperfectly, really imperfectly, I had done that. Still, God carried me through that. All I'm saying is that it actually works. So this internalizing, re- the receiving, meditating, applying God's word, it's, it's this anchor, it's this bedrock, no matter what uh, falls into your life, so to speak. Uh, Jesus speaks to this again. The same concept in, in Luke 6. Maybe some of you have been around church long enough to know the song, but we won't sing it today. But Luke six forty seven to 49 says this. Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, oh, not just hears them, but, but does them. I'll show you what he's like. He's like a man building his house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. There it is. I hear the song. And this, this passage hits real close to home um, in Montecito right now. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against the house and, it, and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. And when the stream broke against it, well, it immediately fell. And the ruin of that house was great. What's interesting here is two different people, what they had in common is that they heard God's word. They had access to the Bible. They had the, the Bible in their lives, on their bookshelf. You know, they, they heard the Bible, etc. But what was dramatically different is one internalized the Bible, and the other, it was in one ear and out the other. So you have to hear God's word to internalize God's word. Uh, but it's not the hearing that transforms and establishes you. So a couple of questions come from that. Is If you have to hear God's word to internalize it, are, are you hearing God's word? Are you, are you regularly um, uh, having God's word in your life? Are you listening to it? Are you reading it? Are you discussing it, um, etc.? But the deeper question is, are you internalizing it? Are you applying it? Are you taking God's word and integrating it into your life. Okay, so the Bible is not just uh, preventative against crumbling in crisis. And the thing about crisis is that um, we, we rarely expect it, and so it's really hard for us to get motivated for something that hasn't happened yet. But, um, but when we see this played out, we can catch on that it's really important to be prepared but 
it doesn't just prepare us against crumbling in crisis, but it actually propels us into a vibrant, uh, abundant life. It causes um, a life and fruit of righteousness to come out of us. The Bible produces in us abundant life. And we'll look at this final uh, of the three passages is Mark uh, chapter 4. This is uh, toward the beginning of Mark's gospel. Um, it, it seems that Mark's main purpose, or at least one of them, is to, is to show people how to, uh, how to follow Jesus, um, how to be a disciple of Jesus, you know, how to live the Christian life, however you want to put it. And so early on in Mark, he has all these accounts, all these stories that show us how to do this. What's the essence of following Jesus? What's the essence of discipleship? And, uh, and he records uh, the parable of the sower, as, as do some of the other gospel writers. Uh, many of you are familiar with this parable, and it basically goes like this. There's a, a farmer, he sows seeds on four different kinds of soil. Some land on the rocks, some land in the middle of the road, some in the weeds, and some land in, in good fertile soil. And so um, the people heard this, and mostly they're confused, and Jesus comes back and he explains it to his disciples. And, and the point is, what makes people, what makes certain people flourish? What makes certain people, you know, fruitful? What makes them spiritually thrive when others don't? Well, the answer is here in verse 20 of Mark 4. He, as he explains the parable, he says, But those, and this after he talked about all the other kinds of soil, but those who are sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word, and accept it, and they bear fruit, 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. So who are the ones uh, that are bearing fruit, 100-fold? Who are, who are the ones uh, in, in the Christian life that are just bursting with life? Who are the ones that are adorned with spiritual vitality? Just, they're just spiritual people. They see things uh, in spiritual ways. Who, who are the ones that display the righteousness and goodness of Christ in, in the habits of their life? Who are the ones who just are multiplying with fruit? There's all this fruit coming out. There's, there's love coming out. These people love. They're joyful. They're full of, of peace when there's chaos around. They're, they're patient. They're kind. They're just plain old good. <laughs> they're faithful. They just keep going. They're gentle. They're, self, they're full of self-control. What makes these people like that? How did they get this way? The answer from this passage is the ones who hear the word and accept it. The ones who encounter the truth in God's word and internalize it. The ones who receive it, that make it part of their lives. Um, the word accept, it means to like, receive favorably, to receive as correct. You're like, yeah, I, I believe that. That's true. And, and I'm just more than happy to integrate that into my life. That is what causes a person to abound with the life that we always really wanted as a follower of Jesus. Abundant life, multiplied a hundredfold fruit. This is God's tool that he works through, it's his word. Uh, Jesus compares uh, the, the Bible to bread. Um, those of you who are in the 9 o'clock uh, Bible studies, we looked at a passage in the Old Testament and a passage in the New Testament that, um, that referenced this. Um, so, so Jesus in Luke 4, he says, 
he quotes Deuteronomy 8, and he says, uh, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. And the fuller quote that's in Matthew than also in Deuteronomy is, um, but he lives by every word of the Lord. In other words, if you're only feeding your body, well, that's not living. <laughs> that's not really living. You have to feed your soul. Feed the inner man. Feed your heart. Sometimes when people go on hospice, you know, in end of life, um, often a a key sign that the end is near is, is they just stop eating. And uh, when you stop eating, it's just a sign uh, of death instead of life. And uh, if we're not feeding on God's word, it's like we've checked out. We said, I, I don't mind if I just shrivel up and die spiritually. That, that's what we're saying if we don't feed on God's word. So it's good to have a little health checkup here and say, do I show signs of malnourishment? Um, do I respond when something happens in my life? Do I respond in unspiritual ways? Do I, you know, do I have a temper? Uh, do I tend to despair? Do I get filled with doubt? These, you know, unspiritual responses to trials. Or do I keep just habitually succumbing to the, the same sin? I just can't resist that temptation. It just keeps, you know, devastating me. It keeps getting its clutches on me. Or do we have these characteristics like we're, we're real nitpicky or, or we're gossipy or cranky or self-centered or impatient or critical? All these things. Do these characterize our lives? Then we're malnourished. <laughs> we're, we're falling apart spiritually. Our souls are shriveling instead of bearing the fruits of, of righteousness and the fruits of Christ. You won't flourish by willpower. Oh, I got angry. Uh, next time I'm just not going to get angry. You know, we, we will it. And then we find we, we get angry again. <laughs> Maybe at silly things. We, we, just, we discover that we can't will it because what has to happen is Christ has to nourish us. And the way he nourishes us, or a primary way he nourishes us, is through his word. So that life that deep down you always wanted can't be realized apart from the habit of personalizing the Bible. So the Bible, it produces abundant life. So here is the danger of a message so simple is uh, you need the Bible. We might tend to just tone it out, tune it out. Like, uh, yeah, of course, you know, Bible is good. Jesus is good. You know, praying is good. We, it might miss us. But it's foundational as much as eating. You know, I tend to eat at least three meals a day. Um, I take that for granted. It's easy to take God's word for granted because it's just kind of around. It's here. Um, another, another way it's like eating is that uh, it only actually works. Uh, the food only actually helps if you actually eat it, right? If you actually ingest it. Um, I think you just ponder for a moment, not to distract yourselves too much, but think of one of your favorite foods. Go ahead, think about that. I have several. I have lots of favorite foods, and one of them is, uh, is mud pie. Does anybody else like mud pie here? Um, when we were at this retreat I was talking about, we talked to this guy, and he, he, it was almost like he's talking about a religious experience as he's talking about his wife's mud pie. And, uh, and he's saying, oh, it's, she starts, uh, the first thing is you've got to start with an Oreo uh, cookie crust. 
And then, and then don't, don't just get the cheap coffee ice cream. You've got to get the really good coffee ice cream. And then this layer of fudge. And then the almonds on top, you have to toast those. And he was, you know, you could see him just getting you know, visibly moved by this mud pie. And I, and I was totally on board. Uh, yeah, I was, I, I'm with you. The Bible is mud pie. And I might stand up here and try to convince you uh, mud pie is so, so great tastes great. You will love mud pie. You should have more mud pie in your life. And so you go home like, yeah, you know, Josh says mud pie is good. So you set your alarm for 6 a.m. Every day of the week, you get up at 6 a.m. You pull mud pie out of the freezer. You set it there and you, you just stare at that mud pie for like 20 minutes. You put that back in the freezer like, yeah, well, I guess it's, I guess it's nice, but I don't know. And then you join this uh, small group uh, pie study. And you, you take your, you, everyone, everyone maybe brings your own mud pie. You set it out on the table. And then you, you maybe dissect it. You take the whipped cream off. You put it. And then you try to separate out the chocolate and, and all, the, all the components. And then maybe you weigh the different parts of the mud pie. And then, then you have this heated argument about whether you should use a shortbread crust or Oreo crust. And, uh, and then you kind of pack it all up and you go home. It's like, yeah, I think. I think I like mud pie. And then you come to here on Sunday morning, and I just have this whole pile of mud pie, and you sit out there, and I just huck them at you. I throw mud pie. You're like, yeah, I'm liking mud pie less all the time. And then, then you maybe uh, meet with somebody like, you know, Josh tells us mud pie is great, so let's meet over coffee, and you bring mud pie, and I'll bring mud pie. And uh, you convince each other to kind of rub it around on your arms and maybe rub it through your hair. Like, no, yeah, rub it in your hair too, okay. And you're really getting really sick of mud pie. The problem is you haven't eaten it. God's Word could get, uh, frankly, annoying, um, confusing, uh, cause contention um, if we don't actually ingest it, (laughs) if we don't actually... Uh, personalize it, internalize it. And and by that I mean, you look at it and you do what it says. In simple terms, that's what I mean by applying it. So when you hear a sermon, you you stop and you reflect on the implications for for your life and you respond in faith to those implications. Like for instance, your sermon notes, maybe that little sheet of paper in your bulletin, the most important part is maybe that blank space on the back where you can jot down you know, or actually I think I've given you a box on the bottom this time where you can jot down, what, what am I going to do about this this week? Uh, far more important than getting all the blanks filled in is what will I do with this? In, in your devotional time, maybe you need to restructure that to focus on the application of God's word, of the integration into life. You're in a group discussion, like our small group, uh, 9 o'clock groups, or our men's Bible study, women's Bible studies. There is an enormous temptation to go to those studies and stay in the head. We could talk all about, like, you know, the mechanics of the passage or whatever. Another huge uh, um, temptation for us is to apply it to everybody else. Man, this world out there, they... They need this message so bad. Or, or even retroactively, you know, the, the ancient Israelites, they, need this, they, so, they got this so messed up so many times. These are all huge temptations for us. This is not eating the pie. This is throwing the pie. What we need to do is, is say, how 
is this rubbing against my life and what should I do about it? Here, here's a question um, I just want to pose is, how much Bible do you need to thrive? And I think the answer is, as much as you can apply. That might be kind of a strange way to word that, but I think this is true. The amount of Bible we need to thrive is the amount that we can apply. If this sermon, you know, a few times a month is all the Bible you're getting, you're probably really malnourished. That's, that's probably not going to cut it for you. You need, to, you need other sources of the Bible. If you're in, you know, five different Bible studies, multiple devotionals, and you have, you know, a couple of different reading plans going on, and it starts to feel like you're just throwing pie everywhere, you might need to reset and focus on the applying of God's Word. Maybe you bit off more than, uh, than God is having you chew right now. I'm just saying that's a possibility. So this week, I want to ask you, just consider the, the routine rhythm of, of your life, of your weeks, and ask the Lord, what changes would God have me make in my habit of internalizing the Bible? What would God have me do um, as a regular practice to best get his word 